John Hart was one of the five signers of the Declaration of Independence from New Jersey. He was from Hopewell County, and uh, his grandson came to California. His nephew came to California. His nephew was John Marshall that discovered gold at Sutter's Mill, started the 49ers gold rush. He was actually, they were putting in a new slough and uh, at, at, uh, from the mill to run the water out. And so he tapped into a pool and ran water out of it while the guys were building and working. Then he went down and looked and there was gold in this thing. And that was actually the start of the, uh, the gold rush in California in 49. Well, <clears throat> John uh, Hart's grandson, Michael Hart, came to California and he married Sarah Land. And they're buried in the cemetery right down here that you passed coming up, Michael Hart and Sarah Land. And this was their logging site. And they'd come up here in the summers because this was uh, cooler. And you can tell that today coming up, but it was cooler up here. So their home was down there, but they'd come up and had a sawmill up here and, you know, spent time up in what we call Heartland. That's why it's H-A-R-T, not H-E-A-R-T. Well, Michael Hart is my great, great, great great-grandfather. And so my mom's 92, and she still lives on part of the old family place over on, it's called the Hogback between Pinehurst and Badger. Lives by herself and just calls me way too much. <laughs> this, I was up here, my wife was the camp, helping with the camp nursing up here a month ago, and it's when we got about three or four feet here in a day, and my mom got four feet, so two of my boys had to go over and take snowmobiles <laughs> and go and get their 92-year-old grandma to get on the back of a snowmobile and take her down to the valley. So it was a, a rescue job. I mentioned uh, John Marshall because um, John Marshall would be my great, 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 great uncle. And he started a long-standing family tradition that we still continue today, all these generations later, of dying broke. And so... <laughs> so he, uh, he discovered gold and he died broke. <laughs> you know, today it's so weird <clears throat> to just try to look around us and make sense of things. You know, I mean, it's just, it's kind of random. And I, I've been thinking about this, and I got a couple of stories I want to tell you. I, uh, I'll introduce myself a little bit. I'm from Visalia, California. I'm the first generation of flatlanders out of my dad's family. My great uncle George was one of the last guys to cut down a redwood tree legally up here. And he cut a big slab out of it and took it to my great grandmother's place over here and stuck it in the barn to let it cure. They'd go down and get water out of the creek and pour on it. And so we were up here. We came up almost every weekend growing up. And <clears throat> I was over in the barn and saw this 14-foot piece of redwood sitting there. And I picked up an axe. And I hit it. And it can't, you can't believe how easy it splits. So my great-grandmother, who lived in 96, she still cooked on a wood stove then. So I made a huge pile of kindling for her. <laughs> and my dad came back up here for a few months, but didn't bring me with him. 
So it was like persona non grata. <laughs> he did what? Because that was going to be out under the trees, you know, a family picnic table out there and stuff. But it made a great pile of kindling. It was just like whack, poom, whack, poom, whack, poom. I just walked around it and just kept splitting off chunks of kindling, and it was awesome. But uh, <clears throat> I, I grew up in Visalia, graduated Redwood High School in 1969. I was 17 years old. I was tired of my dad telling me what to do all the time, so I joined the Marine Corps. And nobody tells you what to do in there. <laughs> and uh, so I was 17 when I turned 18 years old. A couple of months later, I was uh, sent to Vietnam. And I was an 18-year-old. I was a little younger. The average age, I think, was 21. But uh, I was over there the first four months. I was in a helicopter squadron, the Chinooks, the two big blades on top. And we had 50 cows on those. And then uh, I got TAD'd over to the 1st Marine Division, and they stuck us out in the hills somewhere. And uh, we just, you know, played hide-and-go-seek and, you know, had fun. It was like a million-dollar experience that you wouldn't pay 10 cents to do again, you know. But it was, uh, I was glad I had the opportunity to serve my country. I had a younger brother and named Robert. He lives in Visalia, worked for Newton Creamery for 35 years, I think. And I had this brilliant idea. Remember in old cowboy and Indian movies that guys would become blood brothers. You know, the Indian and the cowboy would cut their finger and put the blood on each other, you know, touch the blood together, and they'd become blood brothers. What a great idea for your brother. So I uh, talked my brother into it. We went in the bathroom. <clears throat> I went and got a very large knife out of the kitchen. And we went in there and got in the bathtub, sat on the side of the bathtub and put our feet in the bathtub. And I said, we'll be blood brothers, you know? And I said, I'm older, you know, I didn't tell him that, but I said, you know, I was older, so I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll cut his toe. And so I, he gave me his foot and I took the butcher knife and I mean, I didn't cut it, I like drew it across his foot. And when you see blood on porcelain, It'll make you quit being blood brothers. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, okay. Rob, yeah, you know what, Robert? I don't want to play anymore. And I left. <laughs> so I wasn't real committed to this blood brother thing, you know. It was my idea, but I wasn't committed to it at all. And my mom reminded me for a couple of minutes later why I wasn't committed to that. I should have been. But uh, <clears throat> my, uh, I have four kids. My youngest son, Timothy, is here, and uh, he came up. He's going to head home tomorrow. He lives in Visalia, too. But when he was about three or four years old, his older brother, Daniel, uh, my wife and I, old school, we used corporal punishment with our kids. And I had a, an aluminum arrow. I put duct tape around one end, drilled a hole through it, put a key ring on it, left it on a hook in my closet, and had it in there. I never gave my kids more than three swats because after one, they thought they were going to die because whew, that was the rod, boy. And so I'd, and I'd always sit them down and talk to them. We were trying to be very, you know, good. We didn't want them to have child abuse most of the time. But uh, so T was going to get a couple of swats. I'd always tell them ahead of time, you're going to get one or you're going to get, you know, then I'd say or two or three, but I never gave more than three. And if they fought, I'd say, you were only going to get one, but now you're going to get two, you know? And so that usually stopped it right there because it was like fire coming through the air. Well, Daniel, <clears throat> T was three or four, Daniel was five or six, and Daniel was protective of T. And so he started hugging T and he goes, Dad, don't spank T. Don't, don't spank him, Dad. And he got all choked up. Dad, don't, don't spank T. 
you know, and I, 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 he, he said, Dad, spank me instead. So at that time, I realized that I was raising a brain-damaged child. <laughs> I never volunteered to get a take a swat from my brother. <clears throat> so I talked to him, and we went in the room, and T watched, watched me, and Daniel bent over the bed and took T's two swats on his tidy whities And, I mean, it lights you up. He was committed. That's a commitment to your brother. I mean... Most of us probably haven't ever done something like that. You know, we might, I don't know, I'm not sure what we do that for. Maybe our kids, you know, maybe, maybe if our kid was in a situation, we would take that, you know, put it on me. I'll handle that. Let me take it. But Daniel was extremely committed. Now, commitment is something that we've lost today in a lot of ways. I mean, we're committed to what, the Democrats or the Republicans? We're committed to the left or the right. We're committed to lifestyles. We're not committed to them. We have all these things that we become committed to. And the Bible talks to us a little bit about being committed to things. It lets us know that being committed to something is a good thing. God tells us in uh, Joshua, he says... This is a little lower than I thought. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors, serve beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And then what does he say? But for me and myself, we're going to serve the Lord. We've all made a commitment. A lot of us have made a commitment, and those of you that haven't will talk about that. But we've made a commitment to Christ, to God. But that commitment we made was when God did what? He called us. Come unto me. So God says, come, all ye who are what? Weary and heavy laden. And he'll give us what? He'll give us rest. Come unto me. But that's like getting a sip out of a glass of something you really like. It might save you from eternal damnation. It makes a difference for a lot of us for a while. But then after that, we get to the age we're at now. We get through years. We get off in college if we make a commitment young. We get to other stations in life. And it doesn't seem to quite work. I have lots of secrets in my life. A lot of us have secrets in our life. And it becomes something that it, we made a commitment. We were called to come. But then over and over in the New Testament, Jesus says, abide in me. He doesn't tell us to come again. He tells us to abide. That's a different commitment than coming. In the Old Testament, we have Jonathan, who is um, Saul's son, has <clears throat> got a weapons bearer, bearer with him, guy that carries his sword and sharpens it and keeps his armor clean and stuff. And Saul and the Israelites, the Hebrews, are up somewhere, and, and Jonathan says, you know, his dad tells him, Saul said, don't go anywhere, and he says, you know, hey, <clears throat> 
let's go over to the Philistines and kill them. And the armor bearer says to him, whatever you lead me to do, I'll follow. He was committed to Jonathan. He was committed to stupidity. There were hundreds and hundreds of Philistines. So Jonathan's trying to think, God, he says, God's with us. How are we going to do this? So he says, we go over there. If they tell us to stop, then we'll just stop. But if they tell us to come up here so we can kill you or come up here so we can fight, then we're going to go up and kill them. And his armor bearer says, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. So it says in, in, uh, excuse me, in uh, the Old Testament that 1 Samuel, they go over and they're climbing with their hands and feet. So in the military tradition, you want what ground? ground? You want the high ground. They're climbing with their hands and feet up to hundreds and hundreds of Philistines. So they're in every bad situation they could be in. Two people, hundreds and hundreds of soldiers out here, all armed. And they're climbing up to them. And they get to the top of the hill and they attack them. And the Philistines begin to get confused because the guys in the back can see fighting in the front out here. They hear the ruckus. They don't see any other army. They start freaking out. And what happens to them? They start fighting each other and they kill each other. And the army begins to just fall going away from Jonathan and his armor bearer. And they just wipes them out. And Saul's watching and he's like, what in the world is going on? I mean, he just sees his army start just, they're fighting, but they, he can't tell what they're fighting. And he asks his guys to go check and see, you know, do a count and see who everyone's here. And his son was the one that was gone. He was committed to God. I, I'd like to hope I'm committed to God. I'd like to hope that I'm trying to abide with him. But I know there's been numbers of times in my life when I see the Philistine army, I don't step up to the plate. I don't want to get down on my hands and knees and crawl up a mountain. That's not a good place to be in. There were times in Vietnam that we would go a half a mile in six hours of crawling through the jungle. Up the mountains were huge over there and steep. And I know what that's like to crawl up with people looking for you. And it's like, that's not a good place to be in. That's not something that we would choose to do. And yet, for most of us, God's asked us to, he's choose to do that for him. My marriage is struggling. We, we know what we should do. My business is floundering. We probably know what we should do. I've got a neighbor that's the biggest jerk in the world. We actually know what we should do. But I know that too many times I've not climbed the hill. I haven't taken that, that direction because it's way too hard. Jesus is praying in the garden, and the Roman soldiers come. The Roman soldiers were the Delta Force. They were the Navy SEALs. Those guys were brutal. 
And they came looking for him. And when they find him and he says, do with me what you want to do. And they go to take him. And what do we traditionally think Peter did? Peter pulled out his sword and chopped the guy's ear off. One of the disciples did. Pulled out a sword and chopped his ear off. You're outnumbered 20 to 1. And you're going to pull your sword and fight guys with spears and swords and shields and armor on their shoulders and armor on their legs, armor on their head, face mask, and you're going to fight them? That's commitment. That is being committed to something. That is taking and putting yourself on the ground and crawling up a mountain. And we have, we see traditions of that throughout Scripture. There's lots of places that people are called to be committed. So today there's lots of things. Some of us are committed to retirement. 51 years old, I got to save us this amount of money by this amount of time to make sure that I have what I need when I retire. And some of us have, got, has, have had God call us to do something with that, some of that money. Oh, no, Lord, I'm going to be a good steward. I'm being a good steward. I'm going to take care of myself. We see it today all the time in politics. It's just, it's craziness. We become really committed to sports teams. Any Dodgers fans in here? I'm so sorry for you. <laughs> Any Giants fans? Okay, there we go. There we go. But we get committed to sports. Some of us, our commitments are really good commitments. I'm committed to my family. I have a wife. We've been married 46 years, 40, 46, seven years this summer. Her name is Sandy. I know her name is Anne Marie. No, sorry. I but we've been married for 47 years. We met at Hume Lake. I have four great kids that I just love spending time with. I have nine amazing grandchildren, <clears throat> and I am committed to them. I, I, I would have no doubt in my mind I could step forward and take a bullet for any one of them at any time under any circumstance. That would not be an issue. So there's good things that you can be committed to. There are lots of good things. You can be committed to your church. And you're there every time the doors are open. They need somebody to come down and do some painting. You're there. They need someone to teach a class. You're there. You're an usher. You're a greeter in the morning. You're committed to your church. But see, in, a, in a, the hierarchy of taxonomy, you know, when you look at how you go from this to this to this to this to this, you know, you kind of build this layer of things. Being committed to family, to your church, to your country, to your job, to your employees, that is not the highest level of commitment. Because the question isn't what are you committed to, the question is who are you committed to? And when we move into the area of who we're committed to, in the scope of the universe and the scope of all of creation, there's really only two choices. Is that true? You can be committed to the prince of darkness and be a really good usher at your church. 
You can be committed to the prince of this world and be the best employer that anybody could hope for. Because that's, that's not what we are called to. We're called to be committed to, I get choked up thinking about this. We're called to be committed to the creator of the universe that knows you and knows me intimately. We're called to be committed to the God of love who personally loves each one of us. We are the only faith in all of history that our God will wash our feet. He'll wash our feet. That's what we're called to be committed to. And some of us have stirred the, the water a little bit. We've thrown some stuff in there, and it's not crystal clear, and it's not healthy, and it's not complicated. It is stopping and listening to the still, small voice. God wasn't in the wind and the thunder and the storm. He wasn't. He was in just this whisper. And we're told in the New Testament that in the end times, if it wasn't for the still, small voice, that even Christians would be deceived. God has to put a time on when this all ends. Because we would be deceived because we can't hear that still, small voice. I'm trying to fix this problem. My marriage is on the rocks. It's just going to the dump. And I got to do this and do that and do that and do this. I, I hate to tell you, I'm only 71 years old, but I hate to tell you that most every time I've tried to fix a circumstance, and I'm pretty smart, and I've lived life, and I can fare it ways, and I've got a great network of people around me and family and believers, hasn't worked out like I hoped it would. But when I commit myself to abiding in Jesus... It's amazing how much he works out. See, I think I need to go home and get my wife flowers and tell her that I love her and do the dishes more often and to vacuum because the vacuum's so heavy and sucks to the floor and won't move. And, you know, that's, those are all those kinds of things that I think, you know, well, that'll be great. I'll be a better husband. I'll do all these kinds of things. And the reality is I'll just be a better human husband. Because God's calling me and saying, abide in me. Stop working so hard. Abide in me. If I ask you where you abode, where you abided, you would all probably be able to tell me an address and a city and a street. You could tell me where you were abiding. Well, you're at Heartland Camp, but you still know where you abide. If we're abiding in Jesus, we would know where we abide, no matter where we were, no matter what the circumstance. We would know exactly where we abide. And it's so easy until we get in the way. In a room this size, and if most of us in here know Christ, I would say that Eight out of ten of us have struggles we're working with all the time. If you're perfect, 
Don't talk to me. Because <laughs> you'll find out how imperfect I am. Abide. Be committed to your relationship with Jesus. See, we've used the term Christian for couple of for centuries for millennia the word christian and you know a couple of decades ago there was a little shift in that and the term became popular that i'm not a christian i'm a follower of jesus because christian connotates a, a religion the christians also did the crusades they also did the salem witch trials there's lots of things that christians did but most of the time, those people probably weren't followers of Jesus. Very religious people. Probably a lot of them good people. Thought they were doing really well. Taking up the sword for God. And he's asking each one of us here tonight, will you just abide in me? Will you just make me the residence of your heart and your spirit? Don't make it hard. And how does that work? Sometimes you're driving to town and something happens or somebody calls you and you hang up and you just begin to think, God, help, help me abide in you. Then you deal with the situation. But if that becomes part of your process, that you have that in your system to where you think consciously, God, help me abide in you in this. You're late getting home. You didn't make it in time for dinner. You know your wife's lit. And you're going to have to walk in the house so you get all ready. Because, well, you know, I had a delivery late and I had two guys who got hurt. And I had to do You have all your justifications made up. And when you walk in the house, if you would just say, God, help me abide in you. Honey, I'm so sorry. You're right. That's all it needs. Just to step away from it. Abide in God. Let's pray. Father God, oh, Lord, thanks. You are so good to us. God, you are desiring to take everything we've ever done wrong and move it as far as the east is from the west, to place it in the small of your back where you can't see it, God, when we come to you and we say, oh, Lord, I blew it again. You look at us and say, what? You're not keeping track. Those of us that know you, Lord, are under the blood of Christ. And Lord, Lord we should be living with Christ. Father, we know tonight that in this group that there may be some here tonight that have, have heard the message of Christ. Uh, they've been going to church and, um, but Lord, they've never decided to abide with Jesus. Lord, I just pray for them right now that you would soften their heart, that you would bring a peace over them that's not just a taste of the flavor of the drink, but it's a large drink from the cup. It's a thirst quencher. Lord, I pray that they would understand that you have shed your blood for the sins and all the mistakes they've ever made and all the mistakes they will ever make. 
Lord, I just pray you would give them a desire to be committed to you and draw close to you. Lord, those of us that have known you for a few years, a few decades, for many decades, God, help us set aside all the things that drag us down, the things that encumber us. Help us stop fighting battles that we have nothing to do with. Help us to not fight political and gender and money and countries and wars. And let's fight spiritual battles against powers and principalities. Because then we're in your side of the game, Lord. Lord, thank you that you brought us here this weekend. Thanks that you enjoy us enjoying each other. I just pray for the time together after this. And uh, Lord, you would, uh, if you, you would cause those to be honest and know they need you in their life. And you'd cause the rest of us to be honest to know where we've excluded you from the areas of our life those secret closets. Thanks, God, for Heartland, for this time together. Thanks for loving us. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that when we get to heaven someday, we are still going to be completely blown away by how much you've been loving us all this time. In Christ's name, amen.